All right, good afternoon. How are we doing? Everybody okay? Of course, at least you say that. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll pray the Lord ministers grace to uh, trust that that is true. You are, you are well. It is well with your soul. Uh, by the end of the day, uh, Zechariah, Zechariah, where is that? If you have your Bible, turn to Zechariah uh, chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, we'll read that text in just a moment, and then we'll jump in there together. The children can be dismissed at this time to their class, and uh, we'll look at Zechariah 3 today. If you're here for the first time, we have a gift for you. Please see uh, greeter at the back table, and uh, we'd love to share that gift with you uh, on the way out. Zechariah 3, verse 1 and following. It's a, it's a fairly long text, so if you promise to follow along, I will just read it myself, and you can follow along, okay? You don't have to read it out loud. But that's only if you, you pay attention and actually read it. We can do that, right? Zechariah 3, fascinating text, fascinating text. I'm going to read this, and then we'll pray, ask the Lord's blessing on the food to our soul, and then we'll jump into the text together. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. There's some really fascinating verses here. Verse 8. Now listen. Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are a symbol. And behold, I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua on one stone are what? Seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word to our, whole, our heart. Lord, uh, thank you so much for an opportunity to sit at your feet, Lord Jesus, and, and have you share uh, this holy word. We pray that you would give us uh, grace to give you our attention our focus, our mind, our heart, our will, our strength. Uh, 
Lord, that all of that would be involved as we consider this text. We pray, dear Spirit, that you would illuminate these words, make them clear to us as your people. We pray for his filling, the Spirit's filling, to, to preach clearly um, how, how silly to rely on some speaking ability or um, human earthly wisdom. We know it's not by might nor by power, but by, Lord, your Spirit. And so this is vain and empty unless... Your Holy Spirit, you fill this time with your presence, with your power. I pray that you would work in such a way that spiritual um, victories would be won, that um, lives would be changed, that brands would be plucked from the fire to be made into trophies of grace, and that all of us would be indebted more to you and your glory today for having these few moments So we ask for your grace, we pray for your glory. We pray that here in this room, in the children's class, nursery, we pray that for other churches, sister churches, in Queens, in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, in Manhattan, Staten Island, please build up your church in New York City today. Please um, enable us uh, as a church in a city to make a difference uh, for peace and for eternal life. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's jump in here uh, to this fascinating text. This is our last Christophany. We haven't handled all of them, but this is our last Christophany that we'll we'll go to before we switch to uh, the birth of Christ and the series uh, from Christmas to Easter, uh, the life of Christ. So we're looking at Christ in the Tanakh. And we're recognizing that he actually opened the Tanakh himself. And beginning with Moses, he told them things concerning himself. Uh, So we've recognized that Jesus said before Abraham was born, what? I am. I am. Ego eimi. Before Abraham was, Jesus is born. Micah says the same thing, right? This Messiah, this coming one, would be one from one will go forth to me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So we've looked at some of those, right? Uh, and we'll just look at a few of the sections. We, we looked at period of the patriarchs. Genesis covers this, and there are so many Christophanies in Genesis. It's like every other page uh, you, you see the Lord come and, and talk to folks. Uh, But I love that one. The one we looked at was Christ takes the knife from Isaac on the very same spot where he will give his life and be pierced. Amazing. We looked at the period of the Exodus around 1500 BC. Christ appears to Moses at the burning bush and reveals the name of God as himself. I am the angel of the Lord in the bush says this is I am this is my name. Period of the Judges, 15, actually this is, I I didn't change that, 15, actually 1450 to about 1,000, so 400 years there, 450 years, uh, Christ appears as the one whose name is Wonderful, Uh, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, but there he says, my name is Wonderful. 
And then period of the kings and the prophets would be, let's see here, from, ah, oh, we'll say a thousand is David. So a little bit before that, all the way to uh, the end of Malachi 400s, about 600 period there. And he comes up all over in the prophets and, and the kings. And we looked at that one uh, where in Isaiah, actually, we glimpsed into heaven and saw, saw the Lord high and lifted up. But what we're going to do today is hit one of the final ones, and it's in Zechariah. So, like, you're looking for it, and you almost run out of Old Testament, right? The last three prophets, anybody want to tell me what the last three prophets are? They all sound Italian. Good. Yeah, I think we got him. Uh, these, well, we'll call post-exilic prophet. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Um, what does post-exilic mean? Anybody take a stab at that one? Bingo, yeah. After this exile where they're deported, so a lot of these prophets are writing about this, saying, warning, warning, if you do not repent, if you do not turn from your ways, kings of Israel, you are going to come into some really serious trouble. God is going to punish you. He's actually going to remove you from the land. And so the Lord appears and shares some of those. But these prophets are a little different in that they actually, that has already happened. And so one of their main tasks is to encourage Israel to rebuild the temple, uh, to start taking stock of where they are now, uh, rather than that they will be deported later. Okay, so that's where we are here with Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, I really enjoy this book, and, and if you're just finishing the McShane reading, you probably just recently read uh, Zechariah. We kind of took that on as a church at the beginning. I think this year I'm going to encourage us to do a chronological Bible reading for, for anyone that wants to kind of stay uh, in, uh, in a similar Bible reading program. But anyway, we, we just hit Zechariah in that Bible reading program. Zechariah Book of five messages. He was uh, contemporary to Haggai, but Zechariah was a younger guy. Um, Haggai was an older guy. So it's interesting, like the Lord kind of said the, both of these, one to an older group, one to a younger group. And uh, Zechariah, is, Zechariah is the young guy. Five messages. Uh, I like Leon Morris's outline, just, but it's clearly from the text here. Messages one through three come in chapters one through eight. And then messages 4 and 5 come through chapters 9 through 14. And if you have your Bible, I'll just show you what they look like. It's really clear to mark them out. Look at Zechariah 1. 1. Uh, Zechariah says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, saying... And then he gives his message. Look at verse 7 of Zechariah 1. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, saying, and he gives the second message. All the way over to chapter 7. Actually, that message that I just began, 1-6, is where our chapter 3 is coming in, um, that we're going to look at today. But chapter 7 is the third message. Uh, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is just, so you understand it's the kind of the pattern. There's all these messages in the book of Zechariah. These first three uh, are kind of about the temple. The last are, are after that. 
Uh, so this chap, this the second message that we're diving into actually goes all of those chapters, all the way ch- from chapter one, verse seven, all the way to the end of chapter six. And if you've ever read Zechariah, these are the. It's like crazy. It's not crazy, but they're eight visions. They're fascinating visions, and and it's hard to understand what's going on. Um, like what he. This is a vision, right? Of visions in the Bible often correspond very clearly to reality. Sometimes you're like, you know, what type of reality is this? And some of those visions are that way. In fact, the next, we're going to look at chapter 3, but in a couple visions, uh, this is the fourth vision of this message. But in a couple more visions, he sees a 30 foot by 15 foot. Okay, so like I'm guessing that's, that's probably this section all the way from here to here. This is the middle section. He sees a scroll this big. So he sees a Bible this big that's filled with curses and starts flying over the land. Right? So it's like he's having this vision, but it's corresponding to a spiritual reality. Does that make sense? Like it's not saying, be careful for the Bible that's flying in the air. It's saying, what does this message mean? Okay. And so as we read chapter 3 today, we're going to be looking at one of these visions, uh, this, this fourth vision in this series, and it is so awesome. I love this vision. Uh, I just really enjoyed feasting on it, and, and I was just so looking forward to sharing it with you. Um, I hope the Lord tarries for 30 more minutes so we can look at this together, and then he can call us home, okay? No. Um, okay, Zechariah 3, 1 through 10, Jesus saves. Uh, Two sections to this, verses 1 to 5 is this first section. It's a, what I'm going to say, a familiar scene. So if you're taking notes there, I think I have a couple blanks for you to fill in uh, from the worship guide. Uh, There's a familiar scene in heaven, and we're going to say Christ forgives one. Christ forgives one. All right, so let's look at the people involved in this. Um, Verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. All right, so here's this first aspect of this first scene. You have Satan is accusing. All right, so let's look at a few of these folks. They're not familiar to you. We've just opened the book together. Uh, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and then Satan standing at his right hand to accuse them. So those are the three persons. You have Joshua, the angel of the Lord, and Satan. So let's take a, a, just a minute to introduce ourselves to those folks. Joshua, who is that? Well, what does the text say? The text says who that is. Who is Joshua? The high priest. The high priest. Okay, so the high priest. Now, honestly, if you read through the Old Testament, a lot of high priests were really bad people. But when you understand about Zechariah, you find out that he was actually a good high priest. It was a very high position with a lot of power, almost like a king, um, but it was the religious head of state. And, and here he is, Joshua, when we find, actually he's mentioned in Ezra, uh, he's mentioned in uh, Malachi, and he's mentioned here in Zechariah. In each of those cases, he's mentioned positively. In Ezra chapter 5, as they talk about the rebuilding, they name Joshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God. So here is a high priest who's not just a figurehead, who's lazy and sitting beside the sidelines. He's getting involved, getting the people 
helping them do God's will. This is a good man. He's a righteous man. If you look all over Israel, you're trying to find someone who would be uh, upstanding and someone to look up to. You would look up to Zechariah. I'm sorry, Joshua. Uh, probably Zechariah too and Malachi. Uh, but they're, they're a team. Uh, these prophets and this high priest, a team uh, fulfilling and pushing forward the work of the Lord. All right, and then you have this prophet, Zechariah. Uh, he is the one that's seeing the vision, so we're actually looking through his eyes at this really special scene, really fascinating. Uh, the prophet Zechariah, Joshua, and then the angel of the Lord. Here's our Christophany again. And, and I like Barrett on this. He says that almost every time, he says every time you read the angel of the Lord, you can read Christ. I, I kind of agree with that. It's rare to find it. I can't find one that you say that's not Christ. Okay. And a lot of them we would say that's definitely Christ because it's, it's speaking as God. And that's exactly what you have here. You have the angel of the Lord, you have Satan, and you have Joshua in this scene. And then the Lord speaks. And it's capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh speaks. And that's the angel of the Lord speaking there in verse 1. Showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand. So we'll get a little bit more into that angel of the Lord in just a second. But... Here is an interesting person coming into this scene. I didn't expect him to come here. In this vision, Satan comes. Satan is standing by the angel of the Lord and by Joshua. Three people in this vision. Zechariah actually is interacting some too, so we would say four people. But, but you have Satan coming. And what is Satan doing? He is accusing Whenever you find Satan, you find that he is accusing. He is a deceiver, a destroyer, a hater, causing enmity wherever he goes. And this is what he's doing in the very presence of God. He is accusing Joshua. Actually, this word here, if you're taking notes, you could, or in your Bible, you could draw a, underline this word and underline this word and put a line in between those two. Same word in the Hebrew. One's a noun, one's a verb. The accuser is accusing. That's what he does. That's what he does. We find that all the way to the last book of the Bible. Really one of the only books in the Bible that has more vision uh, than, than Zechariah would be Revelation. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Look at Satan's job. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Right? Satan is not in your room painting things on your wall or anything like that. He is, he is accusing you before God. That is what he's doing. But they overcame Satan because of the blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony. They did not love their life even when faced with death. All right, so we just recognize all the way from the beginning to the end, this is Satan's job. He's accusing. He's accusing. But what? this is the comforting thing. Uh, so much comfort in here. Uh, the Lord is rebuking Satan. The Lord, as the angel of the Lord said to Satan, the Lord Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this one, this Joshua, not a brand plucked from the fire? So the Lord 
gets involved and, and rebukes Satan. I'm going to clarify this is the angel of the Lord as Yahweh himself. Uh, these, these two speeches are used, speakers used interchangeably here. Satan is railing on Joshua in front of the angel of the Lord. And the text says instead of agreeing, he rebukes Satan. I love this thought. This is what our Lord Jesus does as our high priest. In fact, remember what he told Peter? Peter, Satan has requested. Satan has prayed to God to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Satan was asking this for you, but I have prayed for you this way. Job, Satan comes before God and says, does he, does he serve you for no reason? Accusing Job's motives. This is what Satan is always doing. Accusing, accusing, accusing. What does the Lord do as he rebukes Satan? There's a couple aspects to this. He calls himself the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. Right? So, so it's like, listen, you may say whatever you want about Joshua, about Jerusalem, but I've chosen them. There's this sovereign grace that you cannot argue with. Right? You may think you have him up against the wall with, with all your, right? It's like a, this, this prosecuting attorney. Bam, 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 bam. But Jesus says one thing as a defense attorney in front of all of that. I've chosen him. I've chosen him. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. There's this repetition for emphasis. And then he says this. Is this one, is this Joshua, singular there, is this Joshua not a brand plucked from the fire? What a picture, right? Okay, okay, yes, I realize you're rebuking him. Uh, I realize you're, you're accusing him. But look at him. He's, he's snatched from the fire. He's, he's a stick. That's the idea. He's this stick. And, and it's on this side, it's glowing with red because it's, it's being singed. And it's taken from the fire and rescued. Right? This is one of the fun things about fire. But in the picture, it's a very scary thought. Joshua at one point was burning. And he was snatched. He was rescued. He was saved. This is going to become so important as we continue in the text. Joshua was saved by God's choice. A stick on the fire. Now, did Satan have a reason to accuse Joshua? This holy man, this high priest. You notice he didn't say, okay, listen, stop accusing Joshua because he paid all his bills on time. He went to church every Sunday. He got baptized. He gave regularly. Is that what the Lord says? Look at the next verse. We find righteous humans are filthy. Righteous humans are filthy. Now, Joshua... So, so we're giving the rest of the vision a little clearer picture here. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel of the Lord. Now we see, we smell the stench. Satan has a reason to accuse Joshua. He is trying to come into the presence of the Lord filthy. 
right? We're, we're talking one of the most holy persons on earth, humanly speaking, and he is filthy. This word is almost crass. This is excrement. Vomit. It's used for vomit. This is what Joshua, the holiest human, is wearing in the presence of God. He smells. Righteousness, Isaiah says, filthy rags. Similar, it's a revolting thought, unless maybe you're programmed to be a nurse or something, a doctor. Right? I just don't want to think about that. And that's what God wants us to do as we recoil at the thought of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, filthy rags. One dedicated in holiness to God. I, I mean, you just follow. I'm not going to go into the time, take time with it all, but you follow what he had to do to become the high priest at that point. Before God, filthy rags. What if you could follow all 613 commands, obey all five pillars, all seven sacraments? What if you could do all of that? Toe the line the rest of your life, politically correct, completely. No one looked down on you before God. What are you still? Clothed in filthy rags. Yeah, yeah. We're reading Romans here. In fact, I like John 3.16. I like John 3. This is the gospel according to Zechariah. This is Zechariah 3.16, though it doesn't have verse 16. Satan is accusing, the Lord is rebuking, and the righteous are filthy. So what do we need? We need gospel grace. And so verses 4 and 5 give us that. The Lord is forgiving. No basis for Joshua to be forgiven. And the Lord is forgiving. What a glorious thought. He spoke, the angel of the Lord spoke and said to those who were standing, saying, get those filthy garments off of him. See, and then we see this is what the picture means. The Lord opens the vision to us and helps us understand what he's talking about. He's not talking about dirty clothes. That was just to wake us up, to help us realize this is filthy before God. He's talking about sin, right? See, I've taken your iniquity from you. And this is an interesting word. The idea of iniquity is not just law-breaking or... um, missing the mark it's the idea of everyone walking through a a sinful area and you just can't help having some sin in your life even if you're doing all you can you're still going to have iniquity and so you use joshua you're just doing great but you're still filthy take those filthy garments away from him and put festal robes festival robes right like the, the fine, like you're going to a wedding. We have one young couple who just got married here today, right? Uh, not today, but just recently. Uh, praise the Lord for that, right? You get this, this wedding garment uh, that, that you put so much time and planning into. This is the idea. This is like something you wear very infrequently. Most people would not have money for that. And of course, before God, Joshua has no way to pay for that. And then Zechariah the prophet gets involved here. Verse 5, I said, oh, you know what? Let's change his hat too. Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments that were not his own. 
Look at that. While Christ, the angel of the Lord, was standing by. Robes, not his own. Without these robes, he cannot be in the presence of God. They pause and say, Joshua, you don't belong here because you're filthy. And Satan is right. He's accusing you. You are filthy. You're going to need a change. You're going to need those iniquitous things taken away and someone else's garments placed on you. That's exactly what happens. This, what we call, imputation of someone else's righteous works. This is John 3.16. This is Romans 3, 5, and 6. This is our beautiful song. His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Jesus earned that righteous robe for Joshua. Because without it, very clearly the Bible says he is a stick on fire. The fires of hell are not fueled by Satan. They are fueled by God against those who are unclean and filthy. We all are a brand in the fire until we are rescued, taken out, and forgiven. It's February 9th. Uh, the Wesleys and their eight children asleep in a large house. One of the daughters noticed a portion of her roof was on fire, falling onto her bed. Immediately cried the alarm. The whole family awoke, struggled to find the stairs. By the time um, Samuel was able to find the stairs, it was nearly too late. Stairs on fire, the walls around them on fire. Stumble down the stairs, they all get out and recognize young five-year-old John was still in. Samuel and Susanna start crying for their young boy, screaming, screaming. Samuel tries to go back in, but the stairs completely collapsed. No way through. At that point, John hears the screaming, wakes up, tries to go downstairs. The whole house is on fire, can't get down the stairs Walls disappearing in fire. He finds the window, runs for the window, glances out. They see him. Two men, get on, one gets on the other's shoulders, reach up, and they, they rescue John from the window right as his ceiling caves in. That stayed with him the rest of his life. In fact, someone painted this for him. Uh, I don't know if this was the painting, but something similar. Someone else painted this, I believe. But Someone painted this for him, and he kept it the rest of his life with this verse, verse 3, written on the bottom. A brand plucked from the fire. A brand plucked from the fire. We sing John Wesley's songs, his brother Charles's songs. John was the preacher. He would end up riding some 250,000 miles on horseback to share the gospel about how you can be a brand plucked from the fire. Would preach 42,000 times. God would use him in unusual ways. But he knew he was not special. He was just a brand, a burning stick, the last minute plucked from the fire. In fact, often he would say that when people were trying to honor him. I'm just a brand, a stick 
taken from the fire. And this is all of us. Right as we come to Christ, we know that you and I, I am just a brand, just a stick that was burning, needed to be burnt because of my sin. And I was snatched from God's wrath. Snatched by His mercy. Christ was placed there instead. No matter how successful you are today in your sphere of influence, in your calling, in your gifts, it's all just a stick. Or just a stick taken from the fire. Amazing that God loves us so much that he will take the fire for us. He loves you today. He wants to take those filthy rags and dress you in the rags of, in the righteousness of Christ. The, the cleanest, most precious robes that were ever made because they're made with the life of his son. Well, this is a familiar scene as he, he cleanses Joshua, but it gets even more, and we're going to just fly through the last verses, okay? But it gets even more fascinating, at least for me it does, as he changes the scene a little bit. Um, we go from a familiar scene in heaven, Christ forgives one, to a prophetic admonition, Christ forgives many, right? Christ forgives many. Uh, he, he starts at verses 6 through 7 through admonishing. Angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying. And so, like, at, at this point, we're not picturing necessarily Joshua in filthy robes. It's almost like Jesus, when he, when he cleanses, uh, let's see, when he forgives the woman called in adultery, he says, go and sin no more. So you have the same concept. Uh, Christ has forgiven Joshua, and he's going to challenge him. Listen, okay, now, let's, let's be faithful to the way of God. Angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, also have charge of my courts. I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. All right, so it's almost like a, they're in the temple, and he's like, Listen, if you continue to follow my ways, you will continue to serve. Uh, you're going to perform the temple service for me. You will uh, take care of the, the house of the Lord. Um, I'm sorry, there we go. Take care of the house of the Lord and these outer courts of the temple. And, and you're going to be still staying as the high priest. Uh, comforting words, comforting words of future temple, future sacrifice, future things getting back to some sense of normal. And, and so Zechariah's prophecies often do that. They're a lot more positive than some of the other ones because the destruction has come and now Right, look up, right? There's peace down around the corner. Keep following the Lord. Okay, so there's this admonition to walk in the ways of the Lord. And then what I think is just an amazing shadow. Okay, so we're going to find this shadow in verses 8 through 10. And, and I would love to do some Bible studies in here, but for the sake of time, we're just going to have to look at the three verses together and, and let you do some of the studies on your own. Um, but... We find in this shadow, the first of all, listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are a symbol. All right, so that's the first idea. Um, who's Joshua and his friends? We're going to just kind of give the answer. This is most likely what he's talking about, are Joshua and those who serve in that temple that he's just been referring to. All right, so this would be all those who serve in temple service for the sacrifices. Joshua the high priest, he's talking about this priestly duty, and these folks who minister in the temple in a priestly way. 
All of that priesthood is what? Are a symbol. All of this is a symbol. All of this priesthood, all of this burnt offerings, serving before God in the tabernacle, it's all just a symbol. Again, this is Hebrews. This is New Testament. If you're Jewish and you're not believing in Jesus, please open your eyes to this. It is so hard not to believe that this is... And if you're unbelieving, this is astounding. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet so clear. Those things, Joshua, you serving as a high priest, you're a symbol. For behold, and then let's go to the next part. Behold, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Right? All right, for those of you who read your Old Testament a lot, you know that comes up several times. And who is that referring to? Messiah. Yeah, Christ. We have one of the verses. Yeah, I just put in one of them, but uh, you could easily find five others, uh, four or five others. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Right? That, the New Testament that's Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and the strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And what's fascinating is he's taking this imagery. From a branch plucked out of the fire, now to another branch who is going to be sent, and as we know, to take on the fire. And, and so that's the, the next idea there. there there's going to be this branch, and he's going to be my servant, the branch. Next idea, behold the stone. All right, another messianic reference. Uh, Brother Mookie uh, brought this out as, as we looked at Daniel, the Christology in Daniel. Uh, as Daniel prophesies that there will be this stone who topples every human kingdom and becomes the ruler of all the earth. Messiah. There will be this stone. Okay, now this is where it gets interesting. It's a stone having what? Seven eyes. What is that talking about? These are the seven dispensations. No, no. Um, there's all kinds of things you could say about that. Uh, you look up seven, though, and this is where, like, I don't do a huge amount with numerology because often 257 fish, as you read them catching 257 fish, means they caught a whole lot of fish. Right? There's nothing significant about that beyond there. But here we have uh, seven eyes on this stone. I, I do believe this is the Lord. Uh, the idea of seven is completeness, perfection. This is the Lord himself who watches over this stone. Uh, God perfectly watches, completely watches over this plan for his branch to be in place, for his stone to be in place, in order for this to, be, to take place not too long after this. On this stone, I have set before Joshua one stone, seven eyes. Before Joshua the priest, who represents something else. Joshua, you're a high priest and you represent something else. There's going to be a branch. There's going to be a stone that I'm going to perfectly put in place. I will grave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of armies. And through all of this, this third concept is, through all of this, what he will do, I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Right? right. 
How is he able to remove the iniquity of the land in one day? Someone is going to have to come and he's going to have to to suffer in the place of all of our sin. Not just the land of Israel, not just America, right? All over time and eternity. Since time began, from Adam to the last human, we, we need forgiveness. And he's going to remove all the iniquity of the land in one day. In one day, declares the Lord of hosts, he's going to do this. And I held off to this point for this. The amazing thing about all this is the shadow. What is the name of the shadow here, guys? What's his name? Joshua. What is that name? Yeshua. The name Joshua, the high priest's name in Hebrew is Jesus. How can we get any clearer than this? Joshua, yeah, come over here. You're going to be a symbol of a high priest, atone for the sin of the land in one day. You're just a symbol, but your symbol name is Jesus. Fast forward just a few more days. For unto us a son is given. His name will be, his name is called Jesus. Emmanuel, God with, same word. Jesus was called Yeshua. Right? We, we, we transliterate it, but it's Yeshua. Same thing as this Zechariah priest who is the branch, who is the stone. What does he symbolize? He symbolizes Jesus. And that is the only way we will have all sin atoned for in one day. Your sin is atoned for, my friends, if you receive the forgiveness that God offers to you. And so all your sin, all your wickedness, and you may say, you know, I haven't done a whole lot. You're lying. That is breaking the Ten Commandments. All of us have broken the Ten Commandments every day of our life. We need all that sin taken away. Even if you are someone who's like the high priest, you need your sin taken away. How can that happen? That only happens if someone comes and suffers in your place. And this is what Jesus does. He suffers in your place and he offers you eternal forgiveness And then we're going to end with verse 10. Um, Okay, and and so I'm going on a little bit of a limb here, a little bit of a branch. But but I really do believe this is what this is talking about. I think the flow of thought brings me to this. Verse 10, I think all of this can talk about, we could be referring to Israel. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it's broader than that. It's talking about iniquity being atoned for more than just for us, more than just for Israel, for our Jewish folks who are in the room today, but for the world. Not just the land. Um, in that day, oh dear. Okay. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Okay, that doesn't sound awesome climax, but it really is. He's talking about a land of peace. When when the angels come and announce this Jesus, what do they say? Peace, shalom. Peace be unto you. For unto you is born the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's going to save us. That's what that word means. Jehovah saves. Yeshua. Because he saves us, we have peace today three ways. First of all, individually, peace with God. And that's what he's talking about, the brand plucked from the fire. You can have peace with God today. And I invite you to find that peace right now. Right now. 
recognize that you are, in God's sight, filled with vomit. If you're trying to be right before God, that's what you look like. You need forgiveness, and Jesus came to give that to you by grace alone, through faith alone. And so find peace with God because before the throne, one stands who took the wrath that we all deserve. And so you'd say, well, how do I receive that? Like, how do I put that on? Just ask for it. By faith, ask for it. Even now, just just in your heart, you don't have to do this big scene. You just have to say, Jesus, save me. You're Savior. You're Jehovah saves. That's your name. You came to set your people free from their sins. Save me now. Wash me. Give me peace with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Would you, would you cry out in your heart and ask for that? He'll give it to you. If you're trying to find it, trying to earn it, you don't have it. You're the high priest that's filthy. But, but today, if you will ask for pardon and peace, he will give it to you. Peace with God. Secondly, I do believe this is talking about, and this would maybe even be more primary here, the peace that is on earth. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. How does that happen, angels, as Jesus is born? Because this coming one, this Messiah, is not only going to die for our sins, he's going to come back, he's going to set it all straight. You read all the headlines, and there's, there's war after war, there's, there's natural disaster, there's like, like nature is at war. Right? And it's, it's difficult even to read some of these headlines. Much less watch 45 minutes of it in the evening news. How do you do that? Right? You do that because you know one day all of it's going to be at rest. It, the Bible talks about this branch coming. And a lot of times when it talks about that, it talks about him bringing this harmony between humanity and nature. It talks about that. Between humanity and one another, it talks about that. How is that going to happen? He's going to do it, and he's going to bring this circumstance where we're all going to have a garden. He talks in pictures of a garden. And, and, and we're going to have so much peace. I'm going to be able to say, Danny, come over to my garden. And Danny's not going to get angry with me anymore. No. <laughs> we're not going to get angry with each other anymore. We're going to say, yeah, let's go over and visit this guy at his garden. And there's going to be no relationship strife anymore. There's going to be no war anymore. Another picture of the branch. It says they're, built, they're taking their implements of war and they're making them into implements of agriculture. Because everything's a garden. Again. This is the promise of Christianity. This is the only way for peace on earth is that the gospel goes forth in this way to bring this about. And Christ can do it on small scale as the gospel takes over churches, as the gospel takes over families, as the gospel takes over cities. This happens. And one day Jesus will actually implement it himself and he will do it with a strong arm. And those who resist his rule will be punished and he will, he will bring peace on earth all injustice will be righted. It will be a beautiful thing. And we'll live there. It's going to be awesome. Every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and we will enjoy, enjoy shalom. Third thing, and we're out of time, but you will have peace in your heart. If you come to Christ, 
like all the angst can go away. The troubles can cease if you rest under his fig tree. Lord Jesus, you've provided peace for my soul before God. Provide peace for my life. You come to him and you sinners and you ask him for that peace. Right? He's going to give you peace in your soul. That's what you need. Inner tranquility. Jesus is sleeping in the storm. His disciples find that they could when they were with Jesus. Let me end with Charles Wesley. Just a few stanzas, few lines. John's brother who was plucked from the fire, Charles, was the one who wrote all the hymns. I rest beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thou Lord on whom my soul is stayed, wilt keep me still in perfect peace. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're really at angst this morning, this afternoon, let me encourage you to come to the branch. Just take two seconds, well, maybe 30 seconds, and rest under his fig tree spiritually. Take a time out and just talk to the Lord about these things. Say, Lord, I give myself to you. This, this stress, I give it to you now. I need your peace. Give me true shalom. And leave it there. Leave it there. Roll your burden upon the Lord. Because his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He wants to carry you it for you as you yoke up with him. If you'd like to pray with someone about this, amazing, amazing gospel message from Zechariah, but, but just the ending part, especially about peace, or if you need peace uh, at rest in your heart, then please meet me in the back lobby. I'll be happy to pray with you. And all of us, though, let's take a moment of quiet and talk to the Lord about these things, and then we'll close in prayer. Pastor Andrew will come and close in prayer.